It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is the second half of our two-part look into the Boccaccio's Massacre. If you haven't tuned into our previous episode, go back and listen to that one first. And, as usual, you can find our sources for this episode in our show notes. When Charles Mark arrived for work at the Victoria Station restaurant in Fort Lauderdale on the morning of July 9th, 1977, he saw the members of his cleaning crew lying stretched out on the joint's floor. The 28-year-old assistant manager didn't find that terribly unusual. The cleaning crews worked long and odd hours. One man had even been scheduled to come in at 5.30 that morning. They were entitled to grab a quick nap if they wanted. But then Mark took a few more steps into the restaurant, and everything changed. 
A 27-year-old man named Scott Riley was waiting for him there, with a gun. And Riley had been there for a while, biding his time until Mark arrived. The first thing he'd done at the restaurant was shoot and kill Carl Rains, the 19-year-old janitor who came to clean the place at 5.30 a.m. He remained in the restaurant, alone with the corpse of the man he murdered, until 7.30 a.m., when the second wave of the cleanup crew arrived. This was comprised of Kenneth Rains, the 53-year-old relative of the murdered man, and his wife Anna. They brought their young kids with them that day, Rebecca, a 6-year-old, and Ronaldo, a 10-month-old. Riley was waiting for them all at the door with a gun. He grabbed Reigns' wallet, bound the family with masking tape, and made them lie on the floor. But Riley wanted more than whatever pittance he could get from someone's pockets. He was after a much bigger reward, the contents of the restaurant's safe. And he knew that sooner or later, someone would walk through the door who would be able to open that safe for him. So, after securing the Reigns family, Riley helped himself to some of the restaurant's Michelob beer and calmly waited to see who would come in next. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, The Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout Season 1 to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're the Murder Sheet, and this is The Boccaccio's Massacre, Part 2. Scott Riley ordered Charles Mark into the empty restaurant office and had the assistant manager empty out the safe. Mark had been robbed before. He knew you were supposed to cooperate with the criminal and not antagonize him. That was supposed to be the way to get out of the situation alive. But this situation seemed different. Riley acted wild, crazy. There was liquor on his breath, and he talked. Maybe it was because he wanted to make Mark fear him. Maybe he thought that doing so would make the young man easier to control. But Riley told Mark about how he had shot Carl Rains and had likely killed him. 
Riley's demeanor and his murder confession energized Mark. He realized that unless he took action, Riley might end up killing the rest of the people in the restaurant, including the children. Riley wanted to tie up Mark in the office. When he prepared to do so, he set down his automatic weapon. Mark grabbed it. I can't say I was Mr. Cool Guy or that I wasn't worried, he later told the Fort Lauderdale News. I just felt I had to do something or I might be next. When I had my chance, I took it. Mark held the gun on Riley, ordering him to stand still. But Riley did not believe Mark would fire, and he started towards the assistant manager. So Mark shot him in the side. Riley lived and ended up being convicted for his crime. Police believe that it was possible that he might have ended up killing the others at the restaurant had Mark not acted. The whole incident reminds John Curcio, a detective with the Broward County Sheriff's Office in Florida, of another crime. Well, I can tell you, if you look at the facts of the uh, Bucaccio case, um, you had employees abducted, basically starting with the cleaning crew at night, waiting for the manager to show up at the restaurant, and, and then the manager getting abducted. Victoria Station was the, pretty much the exact same scenario. Could there be a connection between the two cases? There was an intriguing possible link between them. The person that was responsible ultimately for Victoria Station, his brother lived about two blocks north of Boccaccio's. Now, I actually interviewed him as he was uh, dying in the hospice in the Department of Correction. And, of course, he didn't admit to anything, but there were certainly uh, things that uh, were very similar in the two cases. But, like so much in this frustrating case, there was just not enough solid evidence to prove anything. So, while the potential relationship between Victoria Station and Boccaccio's remains intriguing, police continued to work other possibilities. One of the potential leads that most tantalized Kevin and I involved Roger Dale Stafford. We will have much more to say about Stafford in a later episode. For now, let's just note that Stafford is perhaps best known for murdering six employees of a sirloin stockade during a robbery in 1978. Some reports suggest that Stafford may also have been in the Indianapolis area at the time of the Burger Chef murders and in the Fort Lauderdale area at the time of the Boccaccio killings. Anya and I got our start looking into the Burger Chef murders, a case we cover in the first 10 episodes of The Murder Sheet. We'll confess, when we first learned the details of the Boccaccio's case, we just about freaked out. The Boccaccio's and Burger Chef murders bear some striking similarities. In each case, Four employees were kidnapped from a place of business during off hours, transported to a wooded area several miles away, and then murdered. A 38 caliber gun was likely involved in both killings. Restaurant slayings are nothing new. They're the focus of our first season, after all. But kidnapping a large group of employees from an eatery, rather than just killing them all within an establishment, that is rare. Could both sets of murders have been committed by the same person? And could that person have been Stafford? The possibility is intriguing, but other than shaky, unsubstantiated reports, 
There is nothing that we could find that definitively places Stafford in either Indiana or Florida at the time of the killings. And even those sources like Gene Stover, who wrote Sirloin Stockade Slaughter, Murder on the Run, alleged that Stafford may have been responsible for what happened at Boccaccio's. Neither Hemp nor Curcio remembered regarding Stafford as a serious suspect in the case. Hemp in particular had his eye on another suspect, one that slipped from his grasp back in the 1970s. The last thing he expected was to get another shot at him in the 21st century. Let's take a quick break from the murder sheet to tell you about a podcast investigating yet another unforgettable crime. The Orange Tree is a seven-part series about a 2005 homicide that happened near the University of Texas at Austin. The murder of 21-year-old Jennifer Cave, who was shot, dismembered, and left in a bathtub at her friend Colton Petoniak's apartment, continues to haunt the area to this day. Like the Burger Chef murders, this case features plenty of twists and turns, including Colton's flight to Mexico with another UT student, Laura Hall. Both were later convicted in connection with the crime, although Colton has continued to appeal his verdict and claim innocence. The business student turned convicted murderer now says that he doesn't even remember much about the night Jennifer died. The Orange Tree is reported on and produced by Haley Butler and Tanu Thomas, who were both seniors at the University of Texas when they started this project. Together, Haley and Tanu strive to piece together this tragic story in an in-depth podcast that features audio from courtroom scenes and interrogation rooms, prison phone calls, and exclusive interviews with both the perpetrators and the victim's family. You can binge all seven episodes of The Orange Tree today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, back to the murder sheet. About five years ago, Chuck Hemp got a surprising phone call. The police department in Sunrise, Florida, had been going through their evidence lockers and discovered material related to the Boccaccio's murders. They wanted to reopen the case. I met with them on a Saturday, and uh, we decided that, uh, you know, we'd get a hold of somebody that I knew at the sheriff's office. and said, You know, they're a bigger agency that had more in terms of budget. And so I suggested that we contact the sheriff's department and have them uh, see if they would be willing to donate uh, cold case people and put their cold case squad on it, and, and we could work with them, which they did. And uh, we started to meet at the sheriff's office a couple days a week. And we met probably, uh, I want to say, for uh, one weekend for maybe two months. And our process or our uh, work structure was going to be to try and see how many pieces of evidence we could still locate in terms of uh, blood, clothing, because we might now be able to use DNA, which Mm -hmm. we didn't have back then. So we found uh, numerous pieces of evidence, uh, some in, in our evidence locker. We found uh, Sunrise had some evidence, and uh, the medical examiner's office had some evidence. In terms of our reports and some of the evidence we had, uh, when the city merged with the sheriff's department and they contracted somebody to pick up all that stuff and take it down to their central files, uh, some of it was lost. But what Hemp and the others envisioned doing involved more than merely having a lab run tests in hopes of finding DNA. They wanted to go out and investigate. Since Hemp's suspect has never been publicly linked to the crime, we are removing his name from this episode. Uh, uh, Anyway, we we, uh, spent a lot of time sort of putting our heads together and deciding where we were going to go. And one of the areas we were going to go was after because he was still in prison, uh, uh, but he was due to get out within a couple of months of when we started putting this thing back together. So he was going to be one particular uh, lead that we were going to follow up. This was a lead that had originally come up just a few years after the murders. We did get a call from a postal inspector who had developed an informant uh, who indicated that she was uh, sleeping with... uh, Uh, a guy and uh, they were drunk and they were uh, smoking marijuana in bed one night and he uh, told her that he and his uh, group and and the group that uh, was involved they were they were had been pulling robberies all over the place Uh, anyway they said that they had went into a nightclub and uh, in the daytime and had taken uh, four people out because one of the uh, uh, victims, a black female, had recognized one of the robbers. And, and she actually said, I know you, you're you live next door to uh, my mother. The woman didn't have all the details. She did not even know the name of the restaurant or what city the crime had occurred in. 
But what she did recall was enough to pique the interest of the investigators. But she just did know that there were four people taken out. Two of them were white, two of them were black. They were taken out to field and, uh, and said he killed them. The police looked into the background of the man the informant named. And what the woman said about him seemed to hold up. His mother, in fact, did live uh, two or three houses away from one of the black female victims that we found there. It all seemed to fit. So we got sort of excited about him. At the time, he was serving uh, time in a federal prison down in Miami. I believe it was for a post office robbery. And so we went down there and talked to him. And he was uh, pretty open about talking with us. He just denied everything. And uh, he he wouldn't admit anything at all. But he did agree to take a polygraph. And so uh, we went down there. Uh, oh, four or five days later and put him on a polygraph and he failed the polygraph. Uh, But he still wouldn't make any admissions. Police had the names of the people the man committed his crimes with, but that proved to be of no help. Uh, The group that he worked with, uh, one was dead and one, uh, two were in prison. And, uh, or actually, I think two were dead and one was in prison. And we went up to um, the Florida State Prison and tried to talk to that guy, but he wouldn't talk to us all. He had nothing to say, period. So uh, without any, and the fingerprints did not match any of those people. And so without specifically any specific evidence, there was nothing we could do in terms of charges, but we still had them on a suspect list. And now, decades later, Hemp and the others were primed to take another go at him. It seemed like it might have been the last chance to do so. The man was scheduled to get out of prison mere weeks later. And uh, so anyway, along about the time we were getting ready to hit the street and to start putting things together, uh, it was November, and the sheriff uh, was defeated uh, by another person coming in. That person was a man named Scott Israel. And the person that came in uh, was somewhat upset over some of the people that were in the cold case unit and loaned to us to help. And he consequently transferred all in and disbanded the whole operation and everything went down in tubes. So I think uh, those of us that are retired, you know, we figured, well, there's not much I can do on our own if we're not getting any support from the sheriff's office at the time. Now. Now, since then, I I think what he ended up doing, what the sheriff ended up doing, was uh, assign one guy to it. That one guy is John Curcio, who disputes the account Hemp gave us. That's that's not factual. First off, I've been working cold cases on both agencies for my entire career, which is 41 years. So uh, whether or not uh, there was conversations at some command level about starting a cold case unit had really nothing to do with this case. It would have been just for all the cases that are cold cases. Okay. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been like but a Picaccio's task force. I mean, I was working this as, as a cold, a guy who works cold cases or works active as well. It's, it's you know, again, it, it's not a question of anything was neglected and it would have been done differently. And, uh, you know, again, the, the, the fact that they were trying to do a cold case unit had nothing specifically to do with this case. It may be worth noting, however, 
that Hemp was far from the only one to find fault with the way Sheriff Israel ran his department. Israel was accused of badly bungling mass shootings at Stoneman Douglas High School and at the Fort Lauderdale Airport. The Broward County Sheriff's Office Deputies Association held a no-confidence vote on Israel, and it went against him, 534 to 94. Finally, in January 2019, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis removed Israel from his office and appointed a successor. In any case, the fact that this case was worked by different agencies with different perspectives and theories made things complicated. But it was one of these things where you had two different teams of detectives theorizing two different things. The agencies also seem to differ mightily on another crucial point. Who is to blame for the crime going unsolved? The sheriff's office, after all, allegedly stopped supporting the cold case unit under Sheriff Israel. Meanwhile, there are whispers within the sheriff's office that the fault lies with the police department, that they did not take the crime seriously at first, and so failed to process the evidence of the crime scene carefully. We've seen from the Burgerchef murders, a crime that pulled in a response from Speedway Police, the Sheriff's Departments of Marion and Johnson County, and the Indiana State Police, that interagency issues can prove to be a hindrance for an investigation. We also personally view cold case units as a boon. Bringing in experienced or retired detectives to look at old cases can be invaluable for criminal investigations as well as for rookies on the force looking to gain experience. In fact, we're currently calling for the Indiana State Police to establish a cold case unit, alongside victim advocate Scott Burnham, who is the cousin of murder victim Anne Harmeyer. We'll include information on how to follow Scott in our show notes. Detectives Hemp and Curcio both clearly care about resolving the Boccaccio's case but we believe it's crucial for institutions to put as many resources towards cold cases as they possibly can spare. We hope that at some point soon, some sort of cold case task force can be reestablished to take yet another look at the Boccaccio's murders. Because the families of the Boccaccio's four continue to wait for justice for their dead. And they've waited long enough. If you have information on the Boccaccio's case, please contact the Broward County Sheriff's Office at 954-493-TIPS. That is 954-493-8477. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on the Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast or by searching Murder Sheet. For exclusive content like bonus episodes and case files, become a patron of the Murder Sheet on Patreon at patreon.com slash murder sheet. If you enjoyed listening to the Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.